everybody. Welcome back to My Second Self and I. I am Matt, the echoey voice you'll hear from time to time. It's Alex. Hello. He is one of the many voices in my head and also our co-host. Thank you to everyone who had a chance to listen to one of the worst Larrys I've ever read about. What a bad, bad Larry. This week is a lot easier to digest. First of all, uh, I don't know how the hell I keep finding things like this for you all, but you know how the subtitle of this show, if you look at the artwork, is We Talk About Weird Crimes? This is why. I have a missing persons case from 1987 in California, but its authenticity hinges strongly on whether or not you think Bigfoot is real. I think he's the most likely candidate for any cryptid to exist or to have existed. I can't believe I found another Bigfoot-related crime within two weeks of each other. Oh yeah, I completely whiffed it last week because I was tired of talking about the guy. I mentioned that Larry Eiler had died of AIDS-related complications in prison, but I forgot to say the date. It was March 6, 1994. Let's just get right into it here. If I think of anything else, I'll put it at the end. We're going squatching, y'all! Almost forgot, this is a comedy show. So from this point on, you can expect jokes, swearing, and loudness. Cool? Cool. Late 70s, Fresno, California. 1979, I think, specifically. Zoom in on a probably A-frame house-paneled wall-to-wall in wooden linoleum. Probably a lava lamp or two, maybe a crocheted blanket tossed over the back of a floral print sofa that was also on top of a shag carpet. In this home live a lovely couple of people named David and Shirley Beer. They have, I believe, three children, but the third daughter doesn't have a name mentioned anywhere, and we're really only going to be talking about one of them anyway. And that girl's name is Teresa. Teresa's parents, despite their groovy decor, did not do a very good job of providing a stable and loving home. That's not exactly a new occurrence on this show. However, this time, Mom is the asshole for once, and Dad's trying to keep them all safe. Sorta. David at least didn't do anything like this. Shirley, the unfortunate mother to Teresa and Vicky, was not a very nice lady. I'm not even really sure how this would have come up, but when Teresa was only three, Shirley purposefully broke her leg. Oh my god, how and why? I mean, is there ever really a good why for this stuff? I don't know why exactly, but she did it in a really messed up way too. She put little Terry's leg through the crib slats, the little bars there on the side, and twisted it around until it snapped. Jesus fucking Christ, what the hell? She'd also beat her severely to the point that Shirley broke several of Teresa's ribs until finally CPS stepped in and placed them under the temporary care of a foster family friend from church, a lady named Sylvia Pierce. I don't know what just happened when I tried to say that. She was placed under the temporary care of a family friend from church, a lady named Sylvia Pierce. Fucking nailed it that time. After spending a couple years in foster care, the girl's father, David, decided to get remarried. He married a woman named Margie Richmond and took Shirley to court in an attempt to get full custody. Oh, okay, so Dad's trying at least. He is, but he doesn't exactly know how to pick them. See, David's new wife, Margie, was previously married to Shirley's half-brother, John Richmond. Margie and John also had two kids that began living with David and Margie. Are you still following with me? It's kind of complicated right here, I know. He married his ex-wife's half-brother's ex-wife? Classy, right? Whatever, no judgment. Let's just see what happens. David does win the custody battle. I'm not sure what sort of issues Shirley actually had. Doesn't go into much detail on her, but... She might have had a rough childhood too, or maybe some kind of mental health issues going on, but that's it for Mom. She doesn't come up again for the rest of this. The plan now, once David is awarded custody, is to pack the family up and move to Southern California. 
David and Margie had talked their way into a pretty prestigious skilled position there. Oh, what can they do? They became janitors. For what? A school? Uh, it doesn't say. Maybe a school, maybe a hospital or a hotel. Could be anything Southern California. Things are on the up and up though, right? Starting to turn out for little Terry and Vicky? No. Margie, turns out, was also abusive. Instead of physical violence, though, Margie would lock the fridge and eat to her heart's content while the children starved. Life went on that way, unfortunately, for quite a while, until eventually Teresa moved back to Fresno to her great-grandmother's house. And this is where things start to get weird. Like, real weird. I've mentioned it on the show before, I love a silly name or a nickname that just doesn't quite fit, you know? Well, we have a couple of those today, and the first one we're going to introduce is my favorite. John Richmond, ex-husband of David's current wife and half-brother of David's ex-wife. I know. He is now granted custody. He is 42 years old, and his nickname is, quote, Blind Johnny. How did he get that name? If you believe what he says, he claims to have lost his vision in a game of Russian roulette. What? How? You don't point it at your eyes in that game. Look, man, that's just what it says. Some people seem to believe he could still kind of see a little bit, though. Oh, Blind Johnny, what did you do? He definitely did a prostitute a couple of times. In fact, had a pair of sons with her. Blind Johnny's other two kids, the daughters, were with David and Margie over there. Blind Johnny's not all alone, though, no, no. In addition to having custody of Teresa, he also has a live-in girlfriend with him. I'm going to give you just a second to work up a mental image here. A semi-blind man that has two sons with a prostitute and lost most of his vision in a game of Russian roulette, maybe. What caliber of girlfriend do you think this guy can get? What kind of tale you think a man named Blind Johnny is pulling, really? And this is not a dig at her. I'm sure she's a nice girl. This really says a lot more about Blind Johnny than it does about her. She is a 17-year-old named Tamara Newman. And you might also be thinking, oh, cool. A girl close to Teresa's age. Maybe they'll be friends. They'll have stuff in common. Unfortunately, also, no. I don't think a single person in this story has Lil T's best interest at heart. Dad was the closest, I guess, but he seemed to be a little bit distracted by whatever the hell he's doing with Margie over there and wherever Southern California, I guess, they stayed in. I don't know. Teresa would be forced to stay at home from school all the time in order to babysit her new stepbrothers. Blind Johnny's friends would also come over all the time. Now, you think a man named Blind Johnny hangs out with scholars and businessmen? No. They were also scumbags who would also sexually abuse Teresa. By the time she was 16, she was described as a slow learner and immature. Barely 110 pounds and only 5 foot 5, she was a thin, frail thing. Her front teeth protruded out a little bit, probably dental work wasn't super critical in the home, and she also had a pretty nasty scar on her leg from when mom broke it when she was three. Alright, time for the next goofy nickname. We are now in June of 1987, and Teresa's going on a little trip. She let her friends Peggy and Janice know that she was going to the mountains that day. Who is she going with? A 43-year-old Bigfoot-obsessed house painter named Russell Welch, better known as, you guessed it, Skip. Skip. What, did he only have one leg, too? I'm pretty sure he has both, but he does live off disability, so who fucking knows what he's missing. His ex-wife died of a drug overdose, and he currently has a powerful addiction to meth. So we can guess he's at least missing a few teeth. Oh, for sure, at least one. 
If you read a lot of crime stories and stuff like I do, all that stuff adds up pretty evenly. No combination of those things are super uncommon together. Meth use, menial labor, random words as a nickname, and shit, the guy even kind of looks like he'd be obsessed with Bigfoot. So June 1st, early in the morning, Skip shows up to Blind Johnny's house. He's just driving along, notices Teresa getting ready for school, don't know how, and offers to give her a ride. Is she getting ready in the front yard? No idea how these two know each other either, really, beyond this story or how they met. If I had to guess, I'd say maybe he's also running around with Blind Johnny's other friends that came over all the time and they were gross and then told him about her. Or he's a creeper house painter on meth, maybe he just approached her on the street one day. Both seem plausible, but again, who fucking knows, with this guy, meth behavior's nuts. Skip offered to take her to school, however that was a ruse to trick Blind Johnny. They weren't going to school at all. They were going up into the mountains to look for Bigfoot or squatching, as it's called in some communities. This might sound weird, this might sound a little bit out of place for modern society, but at this time, in 1987, 16-year-olds were supposed to be in school. When she didn't show up, they called up Blind Johnny and asked him, What's the dealio, yo? I probably didn't say it like that. For some reason, he told <laughs> For some reason, he told him that she was at home sick that day, then he went to go out searching for her. He went around talking to her friends and found out that Skip is definitely an untrustworthy scumbag, but nobody knew exactly where they were. So Blind Johnny returns home and reports Teresa missing around 9.30pm. Police begin investigating the disappearance shortly thereafter, but let's talk a little bit about Skip here and what he's like first. He drives a beat-up old piece of shit 1976 Monte Carlo, and his own daughter Chandra would warn other girls about his habit of luring young girls into the mountains to drug them and rape them. Another young girl, Michelle Ryan, who was also 17 at the time, narrowly avoided Skip's mistreatment. She was lucky enough to have had two male companions with her on her trips to the mountains with Skip, though she's pretty sure she was drugged. After talking to the police, Chandra and her brother, who were in separate places, both say that Skip and a young girl, presumably Teresa, visited them on the day of her disappearance. They still don't know much after talking to Skip's friends and family, but they do find his car on June 5th by a trailer park near North Fork. He left it there while visiting his friend Dorothy Davis. He was geetered out on meth and was rambling about a satanic group that had kidnapped a young girl somewhere in the mountains. Meth does crazy shit to your brain, I guess. Just a few days after Teresa dis disappeared, Blind Johnny gets a phone call from a very scary sounding young lady. She tells him that Skip has a gun and told him, If you continue to make trouble for him, you will have more trouble from him. Even your kids can get hurt. Tell the cops that Skip took her to school, dropped her off, and some unknown blonde girl had her picked up. That doesn't sound like the behavior of an innocent party at all. It kind of sounds like that thing where the guilty party inserts themselves into the investigation. That happens all the time. Skip should have inserted himself somewhere other than his mother's house, though, because the police are obviously going to look there, and they find him in there, deep inside the house penetrating around corners and into the bedroom. Did he thrust himself into custody? Pretty much. Must have been some sloppy seconds kind of police interaction as he's arrested for a previous drunk driving charge. Down to the station with the Bigfoot in his head. Alright, that's enough of my nonsense. I have to leave room for Skip's nonsense. During questioning, Skip is pretty open about his belief in Bigfoot. He's really all about it, huh? Oh, big time. Just moist with it, just dripping off of this guy. He starts telling the cops about how there's tons and tons and tons of Bigfoots out there in the woods. 
living in caves and underground tunnels and tree houses and underwater dams and sometimes just straight down in the ground and sometimes that he even talked to them. Wait, really? They can all do that? I mean, yeah, Skip said so. If you can't believe what a tweaker meth addict says about Bigfoot habitats, then I don't know what I'm even doing a fucking podcast for, man. Skip knows what's up. He's the real deal. So what did he say about Teresa? He said a lot of different things, and he said them again many times in a different order of events. He also insisted on calling her Sam. That was his nickname for her. What is it with meth heads and nicknames? Beats me, dude. So, here's his story. Skip first claims to have dropped her off at school, but then soon changes that and says, Oh no, we actually just went to go Bigfoot hunting. Just a little squatching is all. Then he said he saw her run off into the woods with another girl, and then after that, just left with some other campers. And then he said, you know what, we actually totally saw Bigfoot, my bad, I forgot, and she was so excited that she couldn't contain herself and ran off after it to go see it up closer, and after that, you know, she was just gone, I couldn't find her, I tried, I went out there, you can believe me. I even asked the other Bigfoots out there, you know I can talk to them, they said they haven't seen her either, I don't know what to do, man. What the fuck, Skip? But don't worry, y'all, it's alright. I know Bigfoots, and I know Sam, and she'll be much happier living out there with her own kind. Her name's Teresa. also, if you do find her, I just also wanted to let you also know that she will not have any signs of sexual assault or exploitation. However, on her own admission, she would have been willing to do that with me if I had, in fact, asked her to, but I would not do that as it's not in my good nature. In fact, I'll tell you what I'll do. Just come with me. I'll go show you where they were. I'll take you right on over there. Let's go. I'll drive. Skip isn't very smart, is he? No, I don't think so, but he does take the police to a campsite where maybe Bigfoot was. He takes them to a small campsite by a river with a smoldering fire. There were blankets put up in a specific pattern, a camera, a purse, a bra, a shirt, some pictures of the country, some pictures of Skip playing a guitar for some reason, probably playing the Ballad of Blind Johnny and the Sasquatch, and there were also pictures of Teresa. That all seems super convenient to just be all right there where he took them. Yeah, it was hella staged. The actual campsite was about 20 miles away in the much scarier sounding Ghost Canyon. So the police, being the police, summon a search helicopter to scour the aforementioned area and find a blue shirt hanging from the tree. It was Skip's shirt, duh. Dogs found meth in the pockets and alerted to the scent of Teresa, but nothing else of interest. Skip was charged with child endangerment and child stealing, but was later released. Luckily, they caught this mistake pretty quickly. Turns out there was a miscommunication between judges, and he was rearrested a few days later. Well, that's good at least. Kinda. Three days before Skip's trial, they decided to drop the child-stealing charges and offer him a deal. They wanted him to sign a waiver allowing them to go forward with murder charges on a one-year recommendation if they ever found the body, but he refused. That's a weird deal. So eventually, the whole thing just ends up being dropped so that they can avoid double jeopardy in the future if they ever do find the body and can charge him with murder, and that's the last anyone ever saw of Teresa and Beer. There was one theory put out later on that the Speed Freak killers may have kidnapped her, but nothing ever came of that. Skip died in 1998 though, so whatever he did do, we'll never know, and Blind Johnny died of cancer in 2008. He played another game of Russian Roulette in 2004, and the bullet was just riddled with asbestos and mesothelioma. Tore them all up. Alright, so here's the thing. Maybe they never found Teresa because they were looking in the wrong place. Bigfoots prefer to stay in the woods or in caves, and Sierra Nevada is a pretty big range. If we're talking about the possibility of a Sasquatch abduction, we can't really rule out the possibility of an intricate cave system either, or perhaps even a different creature entirely. 
California seems to have no shortage of different monsters lurking in the night. A cryptid cornucopia of creepy critters calmly crawling along the cracked, craggly countryside. Could it have been the Fresno Nightcrawlers? Or perhaps instead of a pair of walking ghost pants, it was the Dark Watchers. Maybe their purpose is to protect rather than observe. What's up with the Nightcrawlers? That sounds cool. I thought so too, but they're sort of underwhelming for a potential cryptid. A few people have witnessed these things near Fresno, and a couple of videos have even popped up. They're kind of neat if you look them up. They don't appear to be harmful in any way, and they're really goofy looking. It looks like a seven foot tall pair of see-through pants walking down the hill with maybe a ball-shaped head on top. Ghost pants? I kind of want to see that. Then you should go to either Fresno, Yosemite, Billings, or somewhere in Poland. A Polish dude says he also saw one over there somewhere. Oh, I don't want to see it that bad. Maybe Teresa encountered one of these things and they transported her into some sort of pocket dimension that exists only inside the ghost pants. Yeah, okay. I'll give it to you. It's possible. Or perhaps instead of magic alien ghost pants, her disappearance had something to do with the Dark Watchers. That sounds scary AF. Actually, kinda no. They look a lot scarier than they are, kinda like the Hat Man or Shadow People, but these things are supposedly non-aggressive and don't really do anything. So how would they be involved with a missing person? Well, if they do exist, they have to have come from somewhere, right? Maybe Teresa stumbled into the portal or cave where these things reside and can't find her way back out. Maybe they're watching for any intruders to keep them out of their home. California is a big state, though, and there's tons and tons of reported sightings of various creatures, any one of which could be responsible for this missing person. Along with those other creatures, there's also a few different variations of Nessie lurking in some lakes. There's Tahoe Tessie and Lake Elsinore Elsie. There's giant salamanders that may or may not live in the Trinity Alps, and of course you can't forget the fabled chupacabra. The Billowak monster, which is a goat-headed science experiment gone horribly awry, along with Charman and the Taquits. Charman is a half-Pokemon, half-Mega Man boss that is supposed to be big, burned-up monster-type thing that I'm guessing looks like a charred corpse that attacks people on bridges, and the Taquits is a vicious cannibal spirit from native folklore. Oh my god, is Taquits not insane? But also don't forget about lizard people. They've been living underground in secret government bunkers for years just waiting for the day they can rise up and take over our world leader's cabinet positions. Somebody out there right now is going, fucking duh, Matt, you dipshit. Of course that's who took Teresa. They've already been in top leadership positions since before you've even been alive. How are you going to call yourself a podcast host if you don't even know that, huh? It's obvious if you just look at the facts and do a little research. Open your eyes, dummy. You got four of them. It's all just lizard people. To which I would reply, Well, what about the horrifying and terrible dog woman of Watts? A creature with the body of a dog and the face of a woman. How original. That terrorized the countryside. Is it not just as probable that instead of a lizard man, it was a dog woman that kidnapped poor Teresa? I think, sir or ma'am, that those two arguments are equally plausible in the eyes of pseudoscience. And look, don't get me wrong, I want to believe this stuff just as much as you want to or currently do believe. I'm not trying to say with certainty that these things do or don't exist. They don't, but that's not the point I'm trying to make. My point is that if you can choose to believe in one of these entities being real, then you have to at least consider the other ones too. Teresa could very well be in a separate dimension living her best life and she'll pop back into our reality later on down the road. If one's possible, then they all have to be possible, right? But here's the problem with that. It wasn't any of those fucking things. After a solid 
thousand seconds of research, I have determined that the most likely candidate for Teresa's disappearance is the Napa Rebobs. The friggin' what? A sentient race of half-robot, half-monkeys that inhabit the forest surrounding an old doomsday safety center somewhere in the Napa Valley. <laughs> what the fuck is that? Just Google this later, you guys. They look like what happens if you feed your mogwai after midnight or get it wet. It's almost got an owl-like face and just really exaggerated limbs and features. They've been known to attack people just walking through the area, and they also have wings for some reason, so they probably also operate similarly to the winged monkeys from The Wizard of Oz. Oh, hey, maybe that's where she was. Maybe she's just hanging out with the cowardly lion and the tin man waiting on a tornado to bring her back home. That's not how she got home. Whatever, we're talking about being abducted by fantasy creatures here, Alex. Anything is possible. That's not even close to all the possible cryptids that could or couldn't be responsible for today's episode, but I think that's probably a good place to call it for today. Teresa was never found after her trip to the mountains with Skip, but she could still be alive out there somewhere. On the supremely tiny off chance that somebody with an earshot of this podcast knows anything, if you Google her name, the first link will be to the Fresno Police Department. Alright, I guess I should throw my actual two cents into this as well while I'm at it. Based on what I've read, I think Skip probably drugged her in some way, maybe before or after they got there, I don't know. Maybe assaulted her, and then I think he just fucking left her there in the woods to fend for herself. He probably did his thing, whatever it was, I don't really want to know, I think, and then ran off to go find Dorothy and tell her about the satanic cult that his brain made up because he geeked out on Crystal. Meanwhile, Teresa's not equipped to survive in the woods, it gets chilly at night, and most likely died of exposure and the remains were taken by scavenger animals. Okay, there you have it, folks. The hardly believable story of Skip and Blind Johnny and maybe a family of Bigfoots. Thank you everybody for listening. If you like that story, get ready for some more paranormal shit. I've figured out some themes to follow along with for the rest of the year, and June is going to be something paranormal or adjacent to it. I also found a couple new resources I can find stories on, and I'm going to be doing my best to keep up with the weekly upload schedule from this point forward. If you want to help me out, you know what to do, so go do that. And I don't really have any new updates on anything, but if I do, I'll be sure to let you know. That's going to be all from us today. See you next week, everybody. Stay, Stay kind! kind.